Rough Trade is giving away a third of the first three months of the Rough Trade Club plus new music membership exclusively to 101 Part-Time Jobs listeners. Become a member of Rough Trade Club New Music and you'll receive the Rough Trade Album of the Month straight to your door every month on an exclusive vinyl pressing with bonus material. Club members have received exclusive pressings of albums from Sufjan Stevens, Sprints, The Last Dinner Party, English Teacher and Over Mono, just to name a few, this past year alone. Sign up using the promo code CLUB101POD and you'll get Rough Trade's Album of the Month, Camera Obscura's Look to the East, Look to the West for a third of the usual price. By signing up, you'll be getting Rough Trade's exclusive issue of the album on opaque purple in a gatefold sleeve plus a bonus CD containing five demos. Don't want the album of the month but still want all the benefits? Sign up to the standard tier using Club 101 Pod and you'll still get the first month free. You'll also get free shipping on all orders, 10% off at the bar and on secondhand vinyl in store and exclusive access to sold out Rough Trade events. So don't hang around. Head to roughtrade.com slash club and sign up with the code CLUB101POD. That's CLUB101POD and claim money Money off Rough Trade's album of the month today. This offer is for UK residents only. Do you play in bands? I did for the longest time. And I wish that I knew that DistroKid was a thing. I don't even think it existed back then. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and artists keep 100% of your royalties and earnings. A million plus artists rely on DistroKid to get their music on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all the major streaming services. When you get DistroKid, you can see a DistroKid bank and withdraw your earnings. You get notified when you've earned royalties and you can withdraw via the app. And you can even check your streaming stats on Spotify Spotify and Apple. Get 30% off your first year on DistroKid by going to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. 30% off for your first year. That's not bad. We know it's a tough world out there. Why don't you make it easier for yourself? And to get 30% off that free year as an artist where you get 100% of your royalties and earnings, go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. All right, stay with me. I'll be right back after this. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, you're listening to 101 Part-Time Jobs, where the concept is I speak to bands and band members about what they've got up to between going on tours 
between making records and on today's episode is Richard Colburn from Bell and Sebastian. He joined me to talk about early years, now years and some brilliant stories in between including how you might find some rare relics of their first album Tiger Milk on a rooftop in Glasgow. Their 10th album A Bit of Previous is out on the 6th of May and for the rest of the year they're touring all over the world including a UK tour in November where they've got two nights at the Roundhouse. So here's Richard Coburn, drummer of Bell and Sebastian on 101 part-time jobs. Cheers for listening. We're together at the hips. Stuck together at the lips. We're slightly different um, in as much as most fans have known each other probably prior to being in a band, whether it's local friends you know for neighborhood friends or school friends or or whatever um, pretty much all of us didn't know each other and uh, and we have we had such a, an age range of i think from oldest to youngest was probably 11 years and, and everything in between you know um so basically stuart had um tried to put a band together for years prior to um the lineup that we had for the first few albums uh, and he could never get, he always advertised in supermarkets and so on, and he could never get the people that he wanted. So he thought, well, I'm just going to let people come to me. So after over a period of time in like 1995, we just kind of met each other randomly through parties and, you know, gigs and different um, social events and so on. And we slowly became a band but we didn't know each other beforehand and we came from massively different backgrounds and everything. So we're kind of different. And as much as, as I said before, most bands have, you know, a previous relationship. I mean, that must've had such a big impact in the way you communicated with each other. Cause you know, when you're, when you're friends from school, you have your, your language, you've got your inside jokes that really kind of comfortableness. And I wonder like, you know, when you've got a different age group, I feel like that might encourage you to kind of speak to each other a bit more, uh, objectively maybe politely oh definitely yeah we we um yeah i think i think that's sort of been a, a one of the 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 plus points of it actually um is that directness and respect and and mm. um yeah politeness and so on and so forth where um if there was a problem it would be you know sorted out in quite an amicable way although you know you do get the odd um you know, people rub against each against each other here and there, but on the whole, you know, we've always managed to get through things without, um, you know, too much drama. <laughs> <laughs> my family are all musicians, um, and my mother's side of the family had a music shop in Perth, which is the town I came from, which is about an hour from Glasgow. So I would always go up and sort of work part time in there, uh, and then just doing little side gigs and you know whatever came up really to make ends meet but it's funny because everybody in the band had different backgrounds and some were studying and some were you know like kps and kitchens and stuff my grandfather he was like a sort of virtuoso accordionist but he had the music shop and the whole family worked in the music shop i actually rebelled against it and i was going to be a professional snooker player no yeah yeah and um but i did duck in and out of music you know here and there but i didn't really I don't know. I just wanted to rebel against it, I guess, because it was, yeah. you know, so all-encompassing all the time. I did like it. I did enjoy it, but I just felt, um, you know, I had to break away from it. So I got so far with snooker, and I think it must have been well, early twenties, perhaps. 
and I decided that uh, this is I can't I'm not putting 100 percent in, into this. Uh, you know, it's not for me. What can I do that doesn't involve getting a job straight away? Go to college, and there was a sound engineering course, and I did that, and from there it just all sort of fell into place somehow. Tell me about snooker. I mean, when did you get into it, and how did did you find a club where you know you you were part of a a gang, a group that were getting good together? And how does how does one become a you know a semi professional snooker player? Well, at quite an early age, actually, my. Um, my grandparents' house in Perth, around the corner, there was a, a, you know, like a snooker club or a snooker hall, I suppose, at that time. So that would have been the late, well, early 80s, late 70s, early 80s. Uh, and it, I mean, it, it's a, a gallery of rogues in these places, you know, it's um, just loads of characters. Uh, so I started playing maybe 10 or 9 or 10, say, perhaps, and played in Perth for for for, for many years. And then... Latterly, uh, I played in a club in Stirling called the John Spencer Snooker Club, and I used to play with John Higgins and Stephen Hendry played there and a lot of big players. So I got to the point where there was maybe a chance of taking it a little further, you know, um, and more of a to, to make more of a living or at least attempt to get to that sort of stage. Um, and there was a, a a guy that was coaching me from London who was quite a you know quite elderly but he passed away unfortunately and after that I just kind of I didn't put so much into it so but in the back of my head funnily enough music was always kind of like scratching away and oh you know kind of because that was my background so it's kind of funny the drums sort of found me or you know rather than me find because I always tried to avoid them I always tried to avoid playing and music and stuff but uh, the pool was too strong <laughs> I mean I often wonder you know in this conversation of part-time jobs and finding your identity and and doing you know finding your own your own path and that stuff I think there is a correlation to be drawn with musicians to athletes and and sports people yeah yeah I, I mean it's um the dedication etc that you have to put in um you can have all the talent in the world but if you don't work on it then you know, it's a very halfway house kind of thing, and one doesn't exist without the other. My, my sort of like uh, path to where I am now was definitely there's a few B roads in there. <laughs> <laughs> when you went to college to study sound engineering, did did you meet people? Because I mean, there's quite a few amazing bands in Glasgow now yeah. and then and before. Well, the sound engineering course is actually in Perth, so um, I did that for like a year. Uh, and then I worked in bars and different, in fact, I worked in our price music um, during that period. Uh, it was 1992 when I did that course and I stayed in Perth for a further three years. And then I thought, you know what? I don't want to play music. I'd rather be in the music business. So then I saw there was a couple of courses, one in Glasgow and one in Edinburgh. I applied for the one in Edinburgh, didn't get in, but the one in Glasgow seemed a little easier to be accepted. So I applied for that and I got in. So that's 1995. So I, I thought this is a week before the college course is meant to start. I haven't even bothered to look for accommodation yet. And I'm like, oh my God, this is, it's in a week. I need to do something. So Paris about an hour away. So I came through to Glasgow. First flat I saw was one of these places that's been converted and there's like eight bedrooms and one kitchen, you know, mm -hmm. student, total student flat. So I thought, right, okay, I can afford it. I'll just move in here. Just so happens the person next door in the room next door was Stuart David, who was one of the original members or founders of Bell and Sebastian, who was on a music course with Stuart Murdoch. 
And they used to come and rehearse and, you know, do stuff in his room next to my room. And a couple of times a drummer didn't turn up or what, for whatever reason. And uh, I must have mentioned that I did stuff with music and drums in the past, very vaguely. I said, oh, do you want to come and play bongos? And then I would just come and sit in now and again. And then we got to know each other. And that's how it started. So anyway, on the music business course in Glasgow in 95, they had their own record label. And That's the guy, good. yeah, yeah. And the guy, one of the, one of the, the, the one of the uh, students uh, ended up being our first manager. So anyway, we got friendly and part of the, um, the record label, which was part of the course was that you accepted, you, you, you invited people to send tapes in. And at the end of the course, you had a release that was very small, but it kind of showed you how you work a record, you know, you send it to press and radio and just showed you the mechanics of, you know, um, what it's like to be a record label. So anyway, um, at this point, I got friendly with Stuart, the two Stuarts, um, and he gave me a tape of a couple of songs that uh, he'd recorded prior to that, sort of really rough demos, but it was Dog on Wheels, String Bean Gene, possibly something else. So I handed it in and the lecturer was Alan Rankin from a band called the Associates. And he was, he was the, he was the main guy. So I gave him the tape and we handed it in and he just, he was blown away by it and said, right, okay. Maybe they got 30 tapes and they had the whole class had to pick their favorite one. And then ultimately you pick one band, yeah. they do a single, et cetera, et cetera. So I handed in the Bell and Sebastian tape, got friendly with Neil, who was our first manager, and it kind of went from there. So we didn't even finish the course because by that point, things were beginning to happen. Alan Rankin was sending the tape away and so on. And then at the end of the course, instead of a single, he said, we have a bigger budget this year. Do you want to do an album? And there was only five of us in the band at that point. So we rehearsed a bit, you know, not really knowing each other much. And then we went in and we recorded an album in like five days. That was Tiger Milk. And, you know, it was like n- none of us knew what we were doing. So we kind of got away with that one. And a thousand copies pressed? That's a thousand copies pressed. 500 went to press and radio and the other 500 were just ha- <laughs> distributed by hand around, around Scottish uh, record shops. That is so great. I mean, y- you must look at that time and think, Wow, what a time to walk into that flat. What a time to walk into that building. Yeah, oh, my word. Oh, honestly, because like five minutes either way. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, because right. like that's it and, and it doesn't happen. And uh, that, that's, that's, that's basically the music industry. It's a lot of luck involved. And also, um, sorry, at the end of the, the course year for Stowe College, that was the name of the college for Electric Honey Records, which was the label that did tiger milk we had this industry you kind of have an end of end of college party i suppose so the studio that we recorded and we decided we'd do a live gig and then invite or alan rankin invited like 30 publishers and 40 record you know like at least a couple of hundred people from the industry came up to see this gig and the funny thing was Stuart already had put a deal together with Jeepster Records and we didn't want to advances or anything. We had a load of, uh, you know, like clauses that we wanted to do. He said, we're not going to take any money from you, but we want like um, full artistic uh, license to do anything we want. You're not allowed to listen to the record until it's fully finished and all that, you know, all these demands and all these things. And they said, okay, that's fine. So, well, right, okay, we'll sign with you. So all these people from Geffen and, oh, you name it, come up. And the first thing Stuart says on the mic is, thanks for coming, guys. We've already signed a deal. <laughs> <laughs> I 
And um, you know, it was it was really funny. And um, I, so anyway, what had happened was they got all these white labels and just just copies of Tiger Milk, and they were put on the walls of the studio. And all these guests would come in. And half of them were our friends, half of them were people from them. Everybody got hammered. And I remember people throwing copies of them on the roof, like, you know, like clay pigeon shooting or something, and just throwing them about. And about a year later, they're worth about a grand and a half. <laughs> and there might even still be some on the roof of Savannah, the studio, I don't know. It was insane. People were just throwing them around like Frisbees. And that's then we were just so laughing. Funny. And we were just like, yeah, yeah, that's great. And then, you know, a few years later, you're like, wow, these <laughs> things are worth a fortune. <laughs> So, I mean, did that set the tone of the band? Totally. Absolutely. It was, you know, we just made it up as we went along. But Stuart always, it was always Stuart's vision. And he always had the the insight of, let's not do interviews. Let's just, let's just make the music talk. Because at that point, you know, it was peak Britpop and all the rest of it. So basically, you know... Um, it was it wasn't so much about the music as about the personalities in a lot of way by that point you know and blur and oasis fighting and this and that and da 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 and it was you know um it, you know the music was kind of secondary in a lot of it in a lot of ways so Stuart was like right let's just go right under the radar and just do the music and and a daft punk or something you know where you just anonymity yeah. absolute anonymity and it's just the music yeah and hopefully that will build some intrigue because this is just about when the internet's you know kind of mm-hmm. kicking in properly i suppose mm-hmm. um i remember the first the the first band photos had none of the band in for at least two or three years just our pals ironing on an ironing board or whatever it was just really <laughs> dull photos of just pals <laughs> I remember the first photo, I was in the first photo of any band member, I think, and it was me lying under a van in Camden like could just be knocked down. <laughs> that was the first photo. I was like, great. <laughs> hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. You know, what What of that kind of that mentality have you, have you kept over all these years? Because you're going to grow up as people. Your songwriting is going to be changing. Your style is going to be evolving. In some ways, yeah, like like we definitely have a siege mentality at times um, with certain things. But, you know, the industry's changed so much as well that you, you kind of have to change with it also, as well as personally with your, you know, with personal lives and so on and so forth. Mm. Um, but, yeah, we still, I mean, we have a studio in Glasgow now, which is great. Um, and, you know, we still we still have a, a, a bit of that mentality that we had originally Although, you know, you, I, as time goes on, you have to, you know, you have to loosen it up a little bit because the industry's changed and, and you realise that, um, yeah, it's just, there's just different priorities and different things that are going on now. The video for our necessary drama is maybe, you know, the concept doing a video, I feel pain for bands who have to make yeah. videos. Yes. <laughs> this time round, we, I can't remember what had gone on, but, you know, we had different concepts and, different directors getting in touch and so on and so forth. And for whatever reason, it kind of got to the 11th hour and nothing was decided and we hadn't come up with anything um, solid for an idea. Um, And then it was just the last minute thing and that video sort of 
you know, came together. But, you know, we've always kind of tried to um, embrace the people that are into the band and whatnot, even going back to like the mid nineties where, you know, um, we embraced the internet um, mm. and, you know, we had all these chat rooms and different things and people really got into that um, before most bands even thought about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously we did the Bowley in 99, which was a whole, it was like the physical version of that, if you like, because uh, all the bands and all the, all, all, all the, um, people going there bought ticket buyers the fans and all the rest of it all hung out together and moving on from that from the the boaty from you know a few years ago yeah. is the same thing so everybody's under one roof and there's you know um there's not them and us and all that kind of stuff yeah does that mean that there's always an element of look what we've done right now is great we've with the lessons that we've learned has got, got us up to this point let's continue to learn so we can do the next thing because everything else is always going to be evolving. It's clear how much the record label, sorry, the record industry has changed sharing half of your first album with, with press. Is it always learning, always looking to see what's next and being open to ideas? Cause I can totally empathize with bands who, who are like, no, this is us. We don't change. No, no, we're, we're constantly looking at different new ways to do things, um, how the industry is, what the best way forward, if it's for us or not, but at least looking at it and, mm. you know, um, all the different platforms that are now available, what's the most successful, mm. how do you build up a following on a different platform, for instance, um, different territories in the world, how, you know, what's going on there, America especially, because that's, you know, that's, that's, that's the biggest market, I guess, for for, for a lot of bands. So we're constantly, yeah, um, constantly looking at how things have changed because you can't just wear one hat anymore. You've got to be able to do a lot of different things. It's not like where before you just made a record and you played a few gigs and that was it. It doesn't, that, that, those days are kind of gone. You can't do that anymore. So I think it helps in a lot of ways. You understand what you're doing a bit better. Mm. The music, I think, becomes more interesting because... For instance, like we, we want to have a, a music like a um, like library music. So just doing instrumentals a lot of the time, mm. different ways you can work with publishers, where yeah. your music's going to go, where you want it to be seen and heard and so on and so forth. Mm. Um, you know, so a lot of that stuff's fantastic. And, and we were meant to go to LA to do our latest album yeah. two years ago or whenever it was to work with a guy called Sean Everett, who's a really amazing big producer now. And obviously COVID kicked in, couldn't do it. So then we upgraded our studio in Glasgow, which was like a rehearsal room, but we could maybe do demos in it up to a certain degree. So then we piled a load of money in and just, right, let's make this an absolute working studio, which it is now. And um, and that was it. So it's good. Now we have a home base where everybody can just be there every day. It, it, I wouldn't say it was straightforward, but it, there was, you know, it, it was done bit by bit by bit because obviously we all had a bit of time um because covid had kicked in so we 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 did a load of instrumentals before we kind of properly upgraded so we must have done 30 or 40 instrumentals all different kinds which you know which are in the library if you will Mm. Uh, and then then we just wrote a whole load of new songs for 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 the album um we right. thought we were going to go back to the instrumentals and thought, ah, oh, no, let's, can't be bothered. It's like, that's yesterday. Let's do some more, you know. Um, I imagine having, having your own studio can encourage that and be like, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
we've done that. Well, yeah, and I like the idea of somebody has an idea in the morning and you go, right, okay, let's jump on that. You've got till four o'clock and when that's done, it goes in the library. <laughs> the 10th album thing, does that, is that a thing? Is that a thing with the group? No, no, no. I, it's funny. We never really look back the way, um, to be honest with you. Um, we're always looking ahead to see what's next. And, um, I, and you know, the good thing is, Stuart was the first two albums. Stuart did all the songs. He wrote all the songs. It was, you know, and then the third album, Arab Strap, Stevie came in, you know, more songwriters. And now everybody's writing songs. Everybody's like contributing, whether it's instrumental or part of the lyrics and stuff. So um, it's actually evolved so much since then in the way we write songs and who writes them. Now that makes things different and interesting. So, um, because we all have different musical backgrounds and different musical tastes. There's lots of stuff that crosses over, but there's also stuff that doesn't, which is great, which means that uh, it makes it quite eclectic. So, um, you know, and, and we're not scared to um, use technology and, and go with whatever's new as well, because that's also quite exciting and that changes things up as well. UK tour is going to happen in November and the European tour that was due to happen um, in April will now have, I think it's January, I think. Uh, and we're due to go to the States in June, uh, late May and then most of June. UK tour in November, including yeah. two nights at the Roundhouse. Yeah, yeah. I mean, speaking about how the group's evolved, you know, when you're playing together live, you know, when it comes into the live arena, the way that songs change after a record's been made. Where's the feeling on that? Yeah, well, well, I, I, that's that's another thing as well. Um, you know, some of the songs, the way they've been recorded, trying to emulate them live is is quite interesting. We're now only, we're now at that stage where we're, we're beginning to rehearse whichever songs you know we're going to play live. But the thing was, the UK tour would have happened way before the album came out as the European tour as well. So we probably would have only showcased a couple of songs, but now. Um, we're going to the States in June. The record will have been out for a month at least. Mm -hmm. So now we can incorporate more of the songs because people have heard them. So now we can maybe have five or six or four new ones rather than just two because you don't want to have too many new songs that people don't know because that's when the bar gets busy. <laughs> and the venue's like, oh, God, another new song, right? Okay, let's get some drinks. <laughs> Richard, thank you so much for being up Oh, thank you. When you're rehearsing in the next few weeks, is is that a is that a pretty rigorous schedule? Uh, it's not. It's, it's not too bad actually, um, because we, um, you know, we've most of us have families and stuff, so we have to, you know we work around those types of schedules. Um, and there's st we're still there's still a few bits and bobs of things going on to do with the album prior to it coming out, um, and we still have we, the promos beginning to kind of mm -hmm. ramp up a bit so there's quite a lot of that to do as well and a few different sessions for things so we're working out logistics of all that kind of stuff but we're you know a lot of that stuff we can record in glasgow which is good yeah. um but there's you know there's the you know the when the promotional machine kicks in that's it you know um you, you've got to sort of adhere to it so that's the next stuff you gotta hold on and ride it yeah yeah <laughs> well, i can't <laughs> wait to see you at the roundhouse i'm so excited Oh, great. Yeah, no, but yeah, I'm looking forward to it, actually. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Um, it's been so long. <laughs> so there was Richard Colburn on 101 Part-Time Jobs. If you haven't already, go and pick up your tickets to see them on tour later this year and pre-order a bit of Previous out on the 6th of May. Cheers for listening. 
Here's Cox Barra. I've been working all day for me, mate, on the side. Running around like a blue ass fly. I've been working, yeah, I've been working all day for me, mate. Every blink minute I've been on the go. Up and down the ladder like a fiddler's elbow. I've been working, yeah, I've been working all day for me, mate. This is a Mighty Moon Media podcast. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.